Just before we get into this podcast, just a quick note from Henry and I. We absolutely love hosting the Badminton Podcast, but whilst juggling full-time jobs and bearing the costs of the editing so that we can bring you higher quality episodes and regular episodes, we would love your support. And you can support us through our Patreon account where you can pledge just a little bit per month that's just going to help the Badminton Podcast keep running regularly and to keep serving your badminton needs. So, when you can, please log on to www.patreon.com slash the badminton podcast, no spaces, and pledge a small amount. It's just really going to help us to keep this podcast going. Thanks a lot. Brought to you from Melbourne, Australia, this is the Badminton Podcast, a community for badminton players by badminton players where we talk badminton, celebrate local heroes, interview players from all walks of life, and push you to grow as a player and a person. Introducing your hosts, Jeff and Henry. Welcome to the Badminton Podcast. I'm Jeff. And I'm Henry. We're the co-founders of Volant Wear, the most versatile badminton apparel out there. We're here today to talk to someone really cool on our podcast. And the reason we brought him on is because he's got such a wealth of experience in badminton and in his career as well. And I think you're really going to enjoy it. The whole reason why we started this podcast is so that we can speak to people like we're speaking to today, so that we can offer you stories, insights, lessons, everything there is to know about badminton life and how you can get the most out of your game and out of your career life and everything around you. So I'll leave it to Henry to introduce to you our really special guest for today. So today we have a very special guest like Jeff mentioned and he has a very special name as well and I'm going to give it a crack. Tiete Westra or TJ <laughs> <laughs> is, is a former Dutch international representative and a top 25 men's singles player. After playing competitively, he coached and managed the Peruvian and New Zealand national teams and was the CEO of a regional badminton association in New Zealand, which achieved an overall growth and participation rate of 150% within five years. He recently moved from New Zealand to Mornington, which is just south of Melbourne in Victoria. Since his move to Victoria, he has become a business mentor at Startup Boot Camp and a business manager at Strategy Hub. The only difference between good and great is how strong you are mentally. Resilience is very big. No athlete gets to where they want to be without having setbacks. More often do you have to pick yourself back up. If you want to achieve something, what are you going to do now, today, to make a difference? Thanks for coming on to the show, TJ. Uh, it's my uh, pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. So first things first, TJ, how do you say your name proper Dutch styles? Well, I think uh, after leaving the Netherlands 18 years ago and uh, not having heard my name pronounced properly in my time in South America, in New Zealand, now Australia, I actually have to think about it, but it's, uh, it is pronounced Tjitte Weistra. And uh, in South America, they called me Tita. And um, in New Zealand, they um, changed my name within the first minute after landing to TJ. So <laughs> since that's how it all came about. So what are we going to call you here in Melbourne now? 
Well, I think they stuck to TJ. Uh, some have given it a go and given up very quickly. So I'm, I'm more than happy with, uh, with TJ. Uh, might make life a little bit easier for you guys. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll stick with TJ. TJ, I've known you since, I'm not sure. When, I, when did I first meet you, TJ? Maybe 2005 or six. That sounds about right. World Junior Championships in South Korea, in Incheon. 2006. I think that that was when I first met you. Yeah, that would have been uh, 2006, yeah. But you were coaching the, the rival team, so I didn't really like you that much then. <laughs> no, no, I was, I was quite happy with our result, actually, because I remember beating Aussie 3-2. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah let's, let's just not talk about that one for a little... Shall we go down memory lane? <laughs> I'd, I'd, like, I'd like to hear a bit more about this. About what? <laughs> about our defeat. No, nah, it's it's not really something to be to be discussed. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, moving on. Then. Um, TJ, thanks again for being on the show, and you've got a really rich history in badminton. Can you start from just basically the start of your badminton journey? I'm sure the listeners will want to just hear where you started and how you started and why you kept playing. Yeah, look, I've I've you know been very very fortunate, I think, to um, you know have that that journey in badminton, which which happened a bit bit unexpectedly and certainly not something that uh, was planned. Um, as you don't plan these kind of things when you're a young kid, I guess it just kind of happens and and you roll with it. But um, but it never really had an interest in badminton at all. This uh, was more my my older brother and you know we we lived really kind of out in the country in the northern part of the Netherlands and uh, there happened to be a small badminton club uh, a few k's down uh, down the lane and um, my brother went to an open day so he was going to go with a friend who cancelled him last minute and I kind of said all oh, right then I'll you know I'll keep some company and have a look and uh, so I went along with him and and really enjoyed that day and you know we decided to sign up uh, to the junior club and and that's kind of how it all started when I was about 11 and within a few years uh, got taken into the regional team and from the regional team started competing at the national scene. And I was 16 years of age when I, um, out of the blue, managed to get to the final of the, um, the national under-16 championships and managed to muck up uh, three match points in that final as well, which um, I, I still remember clearly. And, uh, and off the back of that, got invited um, into the national junior team and and that's how it kind of all started. At 17 years of age, I finished high school and moved um, be closer to the National Training Center. And yeah, started uh, learning what, uh, what it was all about to be a high-performance athlete and, um, and looking after myself and training a couple of times a day and, and slowly starting to break into the European circuit. And uh, yeah, from there on it went. And, and I guess relatively young uh, finished up my my representative career for the Netherlands at 25 um, I got given the opportunity to uh, start off as a, a player coach in Peru where also uh, I um, I met my um, my current wife so I played for another three years uh, internationally when I moved to Peru while I was also coaching and and then at 28 moved to New Zealand and yeah solely focus I'll focus on coaching while I always kept playing a bit because I, I love the, the game too much to Know, to to give it up and then yeah 15 years in New Zealand um in and you know working very hard in in, in everything badminton really um been involved with you know from school level through to you know coaching New Zealand team um at uh, Commonwealth and Olympics and world junior champs and not so it's been uh, it's been quite a quite a journey and I I, I I often say to people that I haven't had a life outside of badminton since I was 11. yeah that is a that's a long time to be in the sport 
Yes, sir, yes. And uh, yeah, still, uh, and I got my first break really from it has been uh, since we moved to um, to Australia at the end of the 31st, on the 31st of December last uh, last year after uh, finishing up my job with uh, Waikato Edmonton in, in Hamilton in New Zealand after seven years in, in, in the CEO role there and basically coming here to um, rethink a little bit about, you know, what, what I want to do uh, in the future. And that has been uh, quite interesting as well because I don't think I've really figured it quite out yet, but certainly enjoying what I'm doing for the moment and driving. We've been driving up to Melbourne quite a bit to uh, keep up with playing some badminton, which I've been enjoying as well. And as you reminded me before we started, I lost the game of doubles against you as well, Jeff. <laughs> that was a little while ago. I think we're out for a, meet, a rematch. Yeah. When your elbow gets better. Yeah, I need to get my... Uh, uh, my ten- yeah, silly enough, I started playing a little bit of tennis, and that, that hasn't uh, really gone down very well with my uh, with my elbow. So I'm uh, hoping to um, make a recovery soon and definitely take you on. Yeah, that I'm, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> so TJ, were you mainly just a men's singles player? Did you get into anything else? Um, I played quite a bit of mixed doubles as well. <laughs> you know, you, you'll I don't know if you know me well as a player, but I wasn't. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a very old school. A singles player where um, you grow up, of course, very much in the old scoring system and, and long rallies and long physical mm. match, uh, games. And uh, I wasn't very attacking player or a- any attacking player at all, really. So uh, very defensive and the longer the rallies, the better and the longer the match, the better. So I um, I really focus on it. So th- those trades don't don't go well into the doubles, uh, uh, specifically in mixed doubles. I, I I managed to you know to do quite okay, and uh, but eventually, as you know, a singles and a doubles event is is you can't really combine it at an international level. It's too much, uh, too many matches in a day, and um, and and singles and doubles, of course, they follow each other. So it become it became very hard. So eventually, just focus on on men's singles, um, which uh, was hard enough. Yeah, it is definitely hard to the, in my opinion, of course, the other events are hard, but men's singles is probably in my opinion, the, the hardest event out of them and playing two events is, yeah, there's not many people doing, is there any top players really playing more than one event, uh, men's singles players? I don't think there is at the moment. So I think that basically. No, I, I not, not the top players you, you have, you know, maybe if you get outside of the top. Yeah. 75 or whatever it is. I mean, I don't want to put a real number, but you might have players so would do a bit of a bit of both. But even in the top, you see now. I mean, how many how many doubles players play mix as well? There's 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 very few uh, that playing playing both events because uh, it's it, you know it takes it takes what out of you and and of course all the time that you focus on two events is is time that you don't spend. You know, you you spending you have to split your time and and whether that's you know that's nowadays is probably not enough to to get to the absolute top. Um, yeah, it's 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 very hard to do that. You know, two matches a day, five days in a row. It's uh, you know, and with, with the crazy tournament schedule, doing that back to back in tournaments, it's it's physically mm. very very demanding. And I just want to touch on a part of your story there, um, and you meeting your current wife through badminton we have this ongoing thing through the episodes where we sometimes mention about all the friendships and also the partnerships and relationships that are actually made in badminton or on the court there. So what's your story with meeting your wife through badminton and the move to Peru? Yeah, look, you know, you know what it's like, uh, Jeff, when you're, when you're living as a, as a, as an international player, you, you live from training to training, from tournament to tournament. 
And so Edmonton, that environment becomes your home. And so the, the, the people that you hang out with, the people that you meet are almost entirely from, you know, coming with, you know, within that, within that environment. So it's no wonder that a lot of sports people, not just Edmonton, of course, it's in any sport, end up meeting somebody in that from the environment and ending up spending uh, the rest of their lives with that, uh, with somebody from there. And, and for me, it's been in the same. I mean, uh, was Thomas, Thomas Newbicup qualifying in, in Europe, Bulgaria in 2000. And it's funny how it works because I, um, I was extremely upset because I didn't get to play. Uh, I wasn't put in the lineup in, in the semi, in the playoff against Germany for third place and third place at that time would qualify for the finals. I was very upset. And but my good friend got to play the singles, but he he lost, and as a result, we 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 got knocked out. And meaning there was a, no, there was a semi final, so we didn't have to play the following day uh, because we lost in a the semi final. Therefore, well, we went to the party. So um, thanks to the coach who didn't put me in the lineup, but thanks to my good friend who lost the singles, we ended up <laughs> at, at the party, and that's where I met my current wife. So um, it's um, it's one of those things. There's always uh, always interesting stories and. And yeah, a year and a half after that, I um, I tried my luck uh, checking Peru out. And of course, at that time, you know, my mid twenties was a fantastic adventure, mm-hmm. a crazy city, beautiful country. And I hung around, and they offered me a job. And yeah, so that's how it um, how it kind of came about. And then um, who knows? Now, so many years later, you're living in Mornington, and you know, in Australia with my uh, wife and a couple of kids. So it's uh, it's crazy how uh, how all of that leads to, you know, where, you, where, where, where we are now. It's really crazy how life pans out that way sometimes, doesn't it? It, it is. It, it, and, it's, and it's great. And look, I, I wouldn't, uh, you know, looking back at, you know, I guess we'll, we'll touch on it, but just that whole journey. I mean, there's nothing I would have done different it's been all wonderful and, and, and now just the friendships around the world and still now, you know, when we, we try, my wife and I, we try to go to, you know, world senior championships, you know, the masters and, you know, meet up with all the, with all the, you know, the ex-international players and get together and, and Bemington is, is kind of, it creates the excuse to go and travel and meet up with, with old friends and, and we play Bemington and we, we play very competitively, but, but really it's all about traveling and, and, and meeting up with old friends and, and, and it's just something that will always be part of us uh, and you, know, you see players who, who play and when they finish they, they, they completely disappear they did the opposite they completely out of it and they stay out of it and they move into a completely different direction uh, so that happens as well but I think most people will keep strong ties to what has been such a massive part of their lives and yeah that's a really great point that you bring up there and, and the community is always something that a lot of our podcast guests do talk about. Would you say that the community and the camaraderie, the friendships that you built in badminton is what keeps you playing? Or is there something else about badminton that really, that you love about it and that really keeps you within the sport? Well, I think it's, I think it's both. I think initially maybe it's, it's a lot of the sport because you enjoy it. And, and if you are lucky enough to go on, you know, down the, the well, I don't know if lucky enough is the best way of saying it, but if you're if you go down the high performance uh, route and you, you you manage to be a player that you know, has some success, then that community and I think you know Jeff said it before we start again. We had a little chat about you know being when, you know being back in that environment a few months back, going to the world champs and you know how you've missed it. There's something about it. There's something about being 
you know, going from tournament to tournament and, and, and kind of living that life where you, where you travel around and, and meet the same people in different, different destinations. And it, 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 it is a big community. And, you know, we often see, and it is interesting, you know, when you see the, the tournaments, you know, live streamed and you see, you know, for example, a, a Carolina Marin playing Sindhu, for example, or, or anybody and, and having a really, really hard game and, and they're really getting stuck into each other. And we all know Carolina's sort of, you know, um, attitude and, and, and a lot of people who struggle with that. But then, you know, then, then follow the, the pictures uh, backstage after the match is finished or after the tournament is finished where, you know, they're actually really, really good friends as well. And maybe for a certain period of time, you know, you're very competitive and you, 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 you're best friends maybe, but you're also competing on the court. I'll never forget that one of my best friends was also my biggest enemy on, on the court. But I think when that sort of gets behind you and you, you're moving out of the sort of, you know, representative state, but you're still involved in badminton, that really converts in, in, in strong, strong friendships that you really last for, for life. And I think that's uh, the beauty of, of sport that, that, that it does it. It brings everybody together. And, and I, I don't think it's just in high performance. It's, you know, any sort of nice badminton environment is, is just great. People seem to, people come back to places where they enjoy being. And if, if, the, if they get it out of badminton and it's in an environment where they share the same values with the people that are there and they're having a good time, then they will keep coming back. And, um, and because they want to be part of it because that it makes them feel good. I think that's, that's a big part of it. And it's not all rosy either. I mean, there's, it's tough being a high performance athlete and there's times when you don't want to be there and times when you could, you know, you just want to give it all away and you, you know, you've had enough of it. Um, and because that's, you know, it, it, it can be hard, but I think overall we're quite lucky with badminton. It's, 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 you know, we don't have much controversy in our sport, you know, uh, it, it's generally, it's good people that are involved, great families. And, uh, and I think that's, uh, it's, it's a good environment to have your kids in because you know that they're not going to be exposed to, you know, bad sideline behavior and, and issues with, you know, maybe doping or whatever it is. I think Bevan is, I think, just a, a good environment, um, which, uh, yeah, which a lot of people, you know, will stay in for a lifetime. Yeah, TJ, that's, it's really cool. Um, everything that you're saying in this, in this podcast is I'm resonating so much with all the way from it being hard, being an athlete, training full-time, it does take a toll on you. There's sometimes you just want to be alone and just get away from it all. And then on the flip side, all the people that you meet and to be honest, one of the biggest things I remember about my time playing full-time and overseas on all the international circuits was the people that I met. And I just want to mention that it was about 10 years after I was on the international circuit that one of my really good friends from America, from the USA, his name is Eric Go, and hopefully he'll be on the podcast at some stage. But he invited me to his wedding. And I remember 10 years ago prior to that, we said, hey, we're going to go to each other's weddings. And it's those kinds of bonds that you make. And then I went over to the US. I saw Eric again. It was like I saw him yesterday in the, the friendship and the bonds that you do make. So that is something that's really special to me. And moving on from that, where you were talking about how you're really happy with the choices that you made, you wouldn't change anything because everything's just lined up. And that just got me thinking. It got me thinking about a quote that Steve Jobs actually said. I'm just going to read that out because it was really powerful when I heard it. And it goes like this. It goes, you can't connect the dots looking forwards. You can only connect them looking backwards. 
So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. And I, from my perspective, that's how I felt because I didn't know how I was going to go in badminton. I didn't know what the next steps were. I had goals and everything, but you don't know. But you just have to trust that it's going to work out. And then now when I look back, there's nothing I would... I would do everything the same. I would do... Yeah. I, I can't even explain how grateful I am that I had that opportunity to travel and to do all that stuff with badminton and meet all those lovely people as well. Uh, that's great. And I think, you know, if you, if you can look back on on anything in life and and having no regrets i think that's that's really important um you know it's it's i mean maybe a little bit of you know uh, sometimes cliche but you know when you you know you're tired and you're sitting behind the window uh, staring out you know you don't want to sit there and and think oh i wish i'd done this i wish i'd done that um i think you know i'd encourage anybody to um you know to make the most of it and it doesn't have to you know again that doesn't have to be being highly successful as an athlete and winning things. I mean, success is not defined by by that itself. Um, I think, you know, there's only very, very few people uh, in any sport or any, in any sort of job that go out to, you know, make a name for themselves. But uh, everybody needs to, you know, I think be able to look back and say, well, you know, I have no regrets. I made, you know, you made the decision that I did, and uh, and and it's it's a very good quote. You know, you, you can't, you don't know what's what's ahead of you. You you can only really go out and make the most of it, and uh, and making sure that when it's when the journey is finished, that you said, well, I've did everything I possibly could. And and sometimes it's uh, sometimes you keep the goals that you set for yourself, and sometimes you fell short. Uh, and that that is part of life as well, you know. Um, and, um, and and at the end of the day, there's very very few people who go on and win a medal at the Olympics. Very few. And I um, I remember having that, that, that discussion with some of the athletes that I was lucky enough to you know to be part of you know a part of their journey. You, you you can set yourself that goal, but if you if you don't break that down and you're only staring and only measuring your success on on the end goal, then you're always going to be disappointed. Um, because as well, not always, but very, most of them are going to be disappointed because very few are going to go on and win that medal. Uh, but there's so much more to that. And it, it, you need to be able to enjoy the whole journey towards that because there's so much more that you take out of that. And I think um, the things that you learn from trying to be the best you can be is is something that uh, is, is, is very valuable. That's great, TJ. I mean, I hope everyone listening is getting a lot of value out of these two very successful badminton players that I have the privilege of um, being in this conversation with at the moment. So given such a well-rounded background that you have, TJ, and you know, you've been a professional player, a coach, a senior manager of a large badminton facility, you've kind of been involved in everything to do with badminton from grassroots through to high performance. I want to move on to something and another question that hopefully that you'd be able to give a bit more value to our listeners as you already have. Uh, so what are the biggest lessons that you've learned so far from your career? Look, I, I think resilience is, 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 is very big because no, no athlete gets to where they want to be without having setbacks and without having lots of them be it, you know, not the results that you had expected or hoped for or, you know, or injuries or, you know, not being selected. 
for an event where you know you desperately wanted to go to and and and, and compete and 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 work so hard for um so i think it, it it teaches you a lot about resilience because more often do you have to pick yourself back up and, and work even harder and i think that is so that's i think a big lesson from it and and also that to reach that goal is that you need to do something specific, something specific every day to make a difference to reaching that goal. Just setting a goal and then th- hoping that it will happen and not specifically thinking about that on a daily basis in terms of what am I going to do today that's going to make a difference to reaching that is, 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 is something that's really important. I, I've seen you know, players who are very good at that and I've seen also lots of players at least who are not very good at that. They set themselves a goal, but they don't they don't know how to break it down. They don't know how what to do on a daily basis to actually work towards there, rather than, other than you know showing up. And I think showing up is is not good enough. I think uh, you need to show up with a purpose. And I think that's I've taken that into, I think also into work uh, and and life, and also maybe even as a parent. Is that you know if you want to achieve something, what are you going to do now today to make a difference? And I think that's uh, that's something that I, I think is probably a big lesson from it. And, and I think it's also a, a an attribute or a value that is very well recognized and and uh, and appreciated in, in in everyday life. And you know, when an athlete comes out of a playing career, if they you know looking for you know, to get a job, it's it, it's it's very very a great asset to have going into job interviews or, or you know when you're going to a job i think organizations uh, senior management that, that hiring people greatly value those traits and i think it's something that that, that really helps in in um you know being successful in other parts of uh, of life uh, after after an, uh, a career as, as an athlete yeah that's very similar to what we spoke about on one of our previous podcasts about just using that the athlete's life and what you learn as an athlete in corporate life or in your work life. And it is definitely a differentiating differentiating factor for you when you're applying for jobs and it's going to set you apart from other people as well. Um, I really do like the fact, TJ, that you talked about the goals and a lot of people setting goals and not having smaller goals that will reach that goal, that larger goal in the long term. And I think that comes down to things such as New Year's resolutions where someone sets a goal and then doesn't really think about it or doesn't think about how they're going to do it. They just set it and they might follow it for the first day or two, but then they don't actually have a plan or little milestone goals along the way. So they never get it done. Yeah, it can also become very disheartening. I mean, I think as as you know, as, as a coach being involved with players, I mean, if you setting a, a, an end goal, an outcome goal, and then say, okay, well, let's work for it. It, it doesn't actually create any motivation and on, you know, it's, creates the opposite effect because the goal is so far away that for a player to you know to see that as a as something tangible is very very difficult so then every day can become a real battle and, and really frustrating so you need to break it down and break it down in little steps it's no different than going on a diet as you say oh, i want to lose 20 kgs but if you've got no idea how to do it it ain't gonna last very well um you know and very long so it's it's yeah i think it's, it's very important to make it really tangible and that that every day you know need to know what it is that you're doing to get one step closer to that end goal you know i guess especially working with young athletes um you know where the role of a, of a coach is very very important um to, to kind of guide and mentor players uh, through that process because you know when when athletes are young they, they're not that great at decision making 
Um, and, and I'm not talking about decision making when they when they're playing a game with badminton, but it may be just you know the off court decisions and the life decisions that they make to support what they're doing uh, every day on the court. I think is 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 crucial for the success of an athlete. Um, you know, you can get somewhere you know on talent for you know. You know, you can get on, on pure talent, and I, I don't necessarily always like the word talent because I think talent is 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 a, is a word that's a bit you know thrown around a, a lot because you know what what is it what is talent? I think in, in in the sport like badminton, often talent is defined by somebody who is technically very able. Mm, yep, I agree. That is that that is that is just one talent, mm-hmm. and, and it it is so much more than than that. And we all know that players who have an enormous technical talent but don't have any sort of talent in what is the ability to work hard and understand you know understanding of what it means to be a high performance athlete that they're going to do really well in juniors and then crash very hard after that because they haven't got those those sort of you know all-encompassing understanding and 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 work ethic so i think there is so much to that and it's it's, you know it it, and i I think i mentioned that in in the lead up when we started talking about doing this about the psych of athletes and how you know it's always been very intriguing in terms of how to work with that because everybody's so different yeah absolutely i'd love to just dig into that while we're talking about the the psyche and the the psychological component of badminton players how they're achieving their goals and what makes them tick You've, you've often told me that you were really interested in that kind of stuff and Look, I do remember back from the playing days that you were very um, focused on the psychology of it. And I remember, I think it was Oceania Championships in one of the years that um, you you were always kind of talking to me and trying to get, get in my head. I, I do remember that. I can't remember what, what it was exactly, but I do remember you trying to get a kick out of me and just talk to me in that way. So what about the psyche and that is really interesting for you and what do you feel is behind everything in an, on an, in an athlete, basically. So, what's behind that smoke screen? What's behind that serious playing face? It's very, very interesting, of course. Because, and, and certainly, I, I want to start out by saying that, you know, when I started coaching, I didn't really understand that as much. You know, I didn't. I, I certainly didn't start out as a coach and and nailed all of this. It, it, that's that's been a has been many years of 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 learning and, and working with and, and probably uh, only in the, you know, the very latter years of my coaching career that I really started to, you know, to understand it very well. Um, but, you know, the psych is really important and it's just like, you know, when you see, you meet somebody and you think, Hey, he's a great guy. And, and you know, you get talking and they, they tell you and, and they think, Oh, this guy's really really great he's he's you know he sounds really know what he's doing and he's really successful yeah and maybe then later you find out that actually you know he's got a lot of struggles in his life um and i think as a coach when you when you're working with with players and you you want to really help them you've you've got to understand what makes them tick and what goes on behind the scenes because you know an athlete walks into your you know into your your training environment every day you, you don't always know how their day has been and what they have to, had, had to deal with that day. And I've always made a real issue out of making sure that I knew when players walked in that, you know, that they were mentally fit that day to, to perform well. And that I wanted to know if they, you know, if they had issues going on, which may prevent them from doing so. Because it's very easy to, you know, start yelling at a player when they're not doing well at training. 
you know, and they may have gone through something that day that, you know, you're not aware of. And I think if, if a coach, you can't establish a relationship with a player that they feel confident enough and trust you and, and be able to share that with you, then I don't think you'll be able to get make, you know, to take the best out of those athletes. And I think having that sort of relationship that goes beyond just, you know, as a coach, you, t- you know, telling them, you know, okay, this is what we're doing at training. This is what I think you should be doing is, 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 is very important. Um, and I certainly think, you know, for setting a training environment, that's very good. And, and the psych is, is extremely important. I mean, as, as a, we all know that, you know, from, from zero to nine or, or you know, uh, to, de- to getting to, you know, to be a, gr- a good player, you know, as lo- if you're technically great and, and, and physically great and technically you're strong, you all need those things. But when you hit the very, you know, when you want to be the very best, they, everybody's going to be great. Everybody's technically strong. Everybody knows how to play the game. Everybody's physically fit. The only difference between good and great and to be consistently great is how strong you are mentally and how well you are able to you know, control your feelings, your thoughts, and how well you can control and dominate uh, your opponent uh, psychologically as well. And I think that is, uh, I don't think there is Anybody can argue that that is going to be the difference between you know winning and losing at the very top end, not in juniors and juniors and, and and you know sort of seen and early 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 adult maybe you know you can you can still win games because you're just technically better or you're physically stronger. When it gets to the absolute top, it is all about the psych and whether you can you know you can cope and whether you know how to be stronger at the most important um, moments of a game and i think that intrigues me it's it's always been something that i find you know players win matches and lose matches at, at the top because somebody was mentally stronger or or, or, or not uh, and yeah so that's maybe i'm a little bit maybe i'm a bit too black and white and i don't know what you guys think but that's i, I firmly believe that that's uh, that makes all the difference i think it's incredibly intriguing as well just to hear about it and when i think about say the top 10 players in the world and what separates them when i when i watch them play you know you get inspired and and you you watch them and 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 within the top 10 players, the skill level, the majority of it is, is very much similar or even you know, very close to each other. But as you said, the psyche and, and some, someone who I've been paying very close attention to lately, Kento Momoda, um, obviously has, has won some significant mental battles uh, from, from my perspective anyway. Um, so in terms of... I guess, understanding athletes better. And if, if say I was a coach, TJ, obviously I'm not, but both, both you and Jeff have had some coaching experience. Say I was wanting to get a better understanding of the athlete that I was coaching. And if I was someone listening and wanted to get some advice, I mean, what, would, what do you think are some of the key things that a coach needs to understand for them to understand athletes better? I know you briefly touched on... Um, you know, developing a relationship beyond just the coaching drills, actually understanding the players. Are there particular traits that you think are most important that you've adopted as a coach? Yes, I, I, I do think so. I mean, first of all, I mean, of course, uh, uh, like any relationship, they don't happen overnight. It takes time. And, and, and for me, the only way a, a coach can build that relationship with a player is, is, to earn it, to from from you know, uh, just as, as as a coach likes players to earn 
the coaches respect it, it goes absolutely both ways. Coaches that believe that players should, you know, earn their respect and don't think that they have to do anything in return, you know, are not going to be successful. Uh, they might enjoy some success, but I think in the long run, the players will not, you know, uh, stick around those coaches. I think, you know, you have to earn that respect as a coach. And how do you do that? Well, I think it's a couple of things that's really key. I mean, first of all, you need to be able, you need to work hard as a coach because working hard is something that will will definitely be picked up by players and it and it'll be respected and appreciated. And uh, the other thing I find it important is that you you back your players and that you believe in the players that you coach with, that you coach, uh, and that you that you care for them. And, and by caring, I don't necessarily mean that you are nice to them all the time because I don't think you know players who have I've worked with know that I can be extremely hard and extremely tough and very hard. But that is that is also a way of showing that you you care. Because I've, if I wouldn't be, be tough and hard from time to time, then I wouldn't actually be doing my job uh, properly. It's, it's necessary to, you know, to put players through tough times and, and, and a bit of pain from time to time because it's necessary for them to get to that next level. So I think if over time you can show players that you, that you, you work hard and that you, that you believe in them and that you show that in, with your actions, then I think players will enjoy coming to the sessions because they feel that they're stepping into an environment where there's somebody that wants them to be there, who is happy that they're there and is there to make a difference. And I think that that creates a trust relationship. And I think that's then the basis for starting to build a stronger relationship. And of course, there's always, as a coach, there is, you need to understand how, you know, where that line is as well. I mean, I, I don't think there should be an expectation from the coach that a player shares every single thing in their personal life with them. I don't think it's necessary, but there should be enough trust build up that if something is going on that is going to have an impact on a player's performance during training or perhaps for a longer period of time going to tournaments that they have, that they feel that they can come to you and talk to you about it and maybe even ask for advice. And I think, you know, that your coach is a coach that you can listen to that and that you don't judge them. And that you, you know, you give them time to, to get through whatever it is. And I think that's really what builds strong relationships and builds strong teams and environments that where, where, where not just players and coaches are, you know, have a strong relationship, but also the players amongst each other. I mean, Bemden is an individual sport, but you're not going to get there by yourself. You need your competition, you need your mates, you need your buddies to, you know, to get better and, and to be in an environment where you feel that together you can actually, you know, get stronger. And I think that's probably, and if I think back to, you know, why, you know, how have I learned that? And then I go back to some of the, the coaches that I've, I had in the past. And if I think about them all, then there were coaches that, that had those traits, coaches that I feel that, you know, they were backing me, they believed in me, they they did everything to try and help me. And there were also coaches who, who didn't. They, they just, they were never, there was never a relationship because they, they were what I call podium coaches. They, they coached because they wanted to celebrate the successes through, through, the, yeah, through the success of their players. They wanted to show how, how good they were as coaches. And I think you know, podium, the podium coach is, is not somebody that is a coach that is going to earn the, the long-term respect of, of, of players. And they might have some success in the short term but not in the long term. And I think that's what builds great teams, great players, great environments. And uh, yeah, so I think that's, that's, yeah, probably, I believe, a very strong trace from good, good coaches and, and successful coaches.
Yeah, I can't agree more as well. I've had quite a few coaches in my time and there are definitely coaches that you've really feel that do believe in you. And when they sit behind you on the court, it's a completely different feeling. I remember there was a coach that I had that I remember going onto the court and I felt like I didn't need to worry. I didn't need to worry. I could just focus on the two or three things I was focusing on for that match because I knew that he had my back and he could tell me. And we had that trust and that relationship so that I just felt so much faith in him that he would tell me the things I needed to do or that I couldn't see. And then I could just play my own game, play freely and everything. So that's what I really felt with the coach that I've had a really good relationship with. So I can't agree more with the different styles of coaches and the importance of knowing your coach on that level where there's that, that pure trust. Yeah, I think, and I think the other thing is, and there's also a kind of a fine line and you see this also sometimes, you see these coaches who, and whether they are conscious of it or not, that, that seem to create this environment where, where the player becomes, you know, dependent on them. And I think that's that's not right either. You know, that's, that's, that's too far. Uh, you know, at the same time, you still need to create players that are independent and that, that you need to create a situation where if in the end of the day, you're not going to be there anymore. That might, that might be upsetting where it is, but they, they have everything they need to move forward and to do things on their own. Um, you know, if, if, if players only train well because the coach is there, that, that, that is, a, that is a, an environment that's based on fear and, uh, and not on, on um, players that are self-motivated. You know, if you have a, if a coach doesn't show up and, and the players, they are there because they want to be there and, and they, they, can, they still have a fantastic training session, uh, because they've understood that you know that that's required. I think that's when I think that's success for me as a coach. And I, again, I'll, I'll I'll be the first one to admit that I that, that that I wasn't that coach that you know when I started. I I you know I had to learn that as well. Uh, it's something that you know as a coach you've gone on to that journey as well. And and I think it it comes in the end of the day down to self awareness. And um, you know it just like players need to be highly self-aware of who they are as a player and what it is that they need to work on to improve. If they can't see it themselves, they don't have that awareness and they're not coachable, then they can't really, you know, they, they, you, you can talk until the cows come home, but they're not going to get it. They need to understand it. And as a coach, you're in the same boat. You need to understand who you are as a coach, who you are as a person, where your strengths are, and understand how your actions and behavior impacts on the players in the group. And if you don't understand that, then you and, and there's parts that you're not doing well and that are damaging, and you're not picking it up, then you're going to make that same mistake over and over again. And I, so I, I think self-awareness has been extremely important um, uh, for me to understand, you know, what it, you know, who I am as a, as a as a person, as a coach, and you know how my behavior impacts on you know, the people in front of me. And I think only then you can actually understand, you know, and learn from it, you know, and, and be a better coach. Mm. Yeah. I think that is something that you take with you with all aspects of your life. And I can hear the passion and the kind of that depth of knowledge that you have about that, that area of expertise. So when you find yourself in a new position where you're kind of out of badminton a little bit now, you're a business manager, strategy hub, and just a bit of a background, um, correct me if I'm wrong here, TJ, but what you do at Strategy Hub is you help startup businesses and entrepreneurs navigate their way through external markets and develop their business plans and, and business strategies. How do you feel that that has benefited? How do you feel that it has helped you having this depth of knowledge in coaching in your current position and what the company does? 
it's a very very good question and there's a lot of uh, similarities because you know working with startup companies is is very much a sort of like a coaching sort of role as well and um and i was very very new to that that industry and i'm still very very new to it so i'm there's a lot of things that i need to to learn but if i if i can take you know, i guess one one step back from that and maybe and and go back to you know my my management role within badminton before coming to Australia, I mean, one of the things that that I found really important in in in, in taking into that management management role, with you know, working with with staff and suddenly being in a position where you're, you know, managing an organization or responsible for for the performance of staff. I I, I think the most important thing was me that I felt responsible for their well being, and for me, it's always been very important to similar with with players is to back to back and support, um, you know, the staff that, that, you know, we were a small team, uh, you know, four or five staff in, you know, a relatively small organization, but with huge responsibilities to, you know, to make Edmonton happen and to grow it, to grow the sport. And so there are very high expectations in terms of how we're going to do that and what each uh, staff member's role was in that. Um, so we had to have those those shared shared values, but for me it was very important that they felt just like a player coming to training that that they come to training and, and and wanting to be there that staff come to work wanting to be there and wanting to make a difference every day. And I think again, you know, for me it was important that they felt that I was fully supporting them, that whenever they had any sort of challenges, issues, questions, things they struggle with, that they could come to me. And that we you know, work through those things together and really try and, and set a, you know lead by example and um, and I think the main thing I try to remember in, in a lot of the situations there that you know first of all okay there might be there might be a staff member but first of all everybody is you know as I said you know is a husband a wife a father a mother a son a daughter you know and they all have their life and and, and work is part of the life but it's not their life you know their life is first of all their family and i uh, and so i've always taken this step from look I, I, if if they are feeling happy um and and supported then they're going to go do a great job you know working for for this organization um because i think people will work very hard if they come into an environment where they feel valued appreciated supported and i think that is um that is really important so i've tried to take that into my current role where i was quite nervous about it because it was very new and I, I, you know, I'd never worked in corporate and it's a completely different environment. But I thought by myself, there's still a lot of things that are similar to between high performance and the startup company because all they, they all want to, they all want to be the next unicorn. They all want to be the next, you know, startup business that's going to make it, make it big. And they all need to understand that to get that, they need to be able to break things down and take small steps to achieve that. So that's something that, you know, when I sit down with startups and, and, and assess whether, you know, there's something that we can do with them is to, to sit down and, and ask some of those actually questions, which are very similar. So, so you know, what are your goals? What do you want to achieve? And, and why why do you want to achieve that? And why are, you, why are you doing this? What makes you get out of bed every morning and go and work really hard? And some are in it for the money, you know, they've seen the, the success stories, you know, of, of startup companies becoming, you know, 
tech unicorns and making, you know, getting acquired by Microsoft or whatever it is for $40 billion. And, 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 but again, that is, that is kind of like the, the athlete that, that wants a gold medal and only focuses on getting a gold medal and has really no idea how to get there. So I think that that is something that, that applies uh, very much to, to startup companies. And often, you know, they decide to go and start something with maybe with a friend or with a couple of friends and they forget to work on, you know, the harmony amongst themselves and they forget to look after themselves and, and, and because they're so tied up and working, you know, day to day to, to, you know, achieving a goal, they've forgotten how they're going to get there together and to set some clear guidelines and almost rules and, and have those shared values that they work off because no doubt, just like when you're trying to become a high performance player from time to time, you're, you're not going to be happy with some of the other people around you. And that can be, have a very you know, negative impact on, on, on yourself and ultimately on the, on the shared goal. So, so those, I think, are, are things that are very similar. And also, I find that a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of founders, they, are, you know, they, they want to win. They want to they wanna win at being an entrepreneur. And that's very similar to, to high performance athlete. They, they want to win. They want to be successful. But if you just focus on the win, then that's not really going to, you know, to, to make it happen. You need to be able to understand that from time to time you're going to, have, you're going to lose and uh, you're going to get yourself back up and, and work even harder. You're going to have setbacks. So I think that's something that really kind of comes through quite strongly and, and something that I've enjoyed uh, taking into this role um, because, you, 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 you know, you're coming into something completely new and you're trying to find your way and trying to find your style of, of, of helping these startups um, uh, achieve uh, achieve their goal. And, and so the whole mentoring side of things has been really interesting because I, I didn't think I had much to offer when I started because I have no experience in that industry. But then I realized, well, hang on here. It's actually very similar. So that's been yeah quite interesting to be able to take all those, those that experience and learnings uh, from, from the journey in badminton now into this, this role, which uh, I've really enjoyed. TJ, that's absolute gold that you've been able to synthesize all that information and knowledge that you've gained from your badminton experience and applied it to this new role and have been able to help um, these startups and entrepreneurs find their way or navigate their way in a complex environment. That's great. So TJ, we've been at this for a while now and I feel like you've given our audience so much value already and I'm not quite sure where to take this except for one last question and that would be that if if the audience is listening and they wanted to walk away with one piece of information about being successful whether whether that be an entrepreneur trying to build their business or trying to become a better badminton player or, or creating a badminton program or uh, developing a badminton team is there a single most important thing that would that you would consider Yes, I, th- I think so. Uh, I think in the end, uh, whether it's cliche or not, I think it's, it, it's probably one of the best ones there. It's, it, it, it does come back down to people. Successful programs, strategies, organization, clubs, anything that is thriving, a business, whether it's a startup or well-established, I think if, if you would have a success story, being an, an athlete, a program, a business, um, an organization, and you go in, and, and look back at what the key factors were to, to that success, I think I would guarantee that one of the number 
you know, one of the, the things that has come out of it is, it is the people that were involved and the people that were leading it. And I think from that is that if you are involved with anything, make sure that you are in, you know, surround yourself with the right people. You know, make sure that you go and work for an organization where you feel valued, where there's, where there's, there's the right people involved and, and, and find, find something that you love and find the right people to help you with it. And I think that is going to make a, a huge difference. Uh, and I think any, any high performance player will confirm that. And, and people who work for successful organization will all, all often say, oh, I love, I love the people that work here. And uh, so in my opinion, it all comes down to people. I hope you agree. Absolutely, TJ. I completely agree. <laughs> TJ, that's absolutely right. Like you can have the the biggest goals, the grandest dreams, but if you don't have the right people around you, then it's it's very, very tricky to achieve those things. And I know that you said it's cliched, it's all about the people, but I'll probably back you up and say another very cliched kind of quote or motto. And that's the one that says, if you want to do it fast, do it by yourself. But if you want to go far, then you can do it with other people yeah and anybody listening to this who you know who works at, at grassroots level you know or you know at the clubs that that are the livelihood of or, or you know social get a social casual groups that come together i mean if you if, if you if you're a person that that runs a club or is involved with a club you know think about it and and you know make sure that people if people come to your club uh, make, you know give them time you know make them feel welcome make sure that they feel that they are coming somewhere where they are appreciated where you know they are happy to see you and and if you can do that as a club your, your club will grow and people will come to you clubs who don't don't understand that will lose numbers very quickly i mean at the end of the day people want to be somewhere where they they enjoy being otherwise they'll stop coming uh, you know people you know another saying that there are no um you know in, in a business environment is that people don't leave organizations or businesses they they leave managers and uh, I think that's very true as well. Often people leave an organization because they just don't enjoy working there. They don't enjoy the people. I'm quite you know, passionate about, uh, about that and I certainly try to take that with me whenever I go into a new environment to make sure that, you know, uh, that that is kind of like the number one value that I carry, carry with me. Absolutely. I think that really wraps up this episode of the podcast in that it just brings everything together and it is really all about the people and the peers that you surround yourself with. So TJ, we could talk for hours and hours and I, and I know that we would both love it, but we just have to wrap it up here. So I just want to say firstly, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure and I really uh, am honored and that you've decided to have me on and uh, I think it's great what you guys are doing and I hope the listeners are enjoying it as well. Yeah, look, TJ, I've learned a lot from this. And the thing that I took away the most was about the athlete psyche and how deep you get into that uh, during this episode. And what I want to draw the fact to is about talent and just making sure that although we, we see talent out there, someone who has beautiful technique that has flawless footwork, but at the end of the day, the talent is only in that one area. And do they have talents in the other area? And they are they willing to develop the areas that they're not so good at? I think that's a huge one. And it's a little bit of a plug here for our blog post, but there will be a blog post coming out about hard work versus talent where I kind of express how I feel about it. And also a player from New Zealand that's one of my really good friends, Joseph, we both discussed that in the blog that we talk about, about what's actually more important. And of course, as you would tell, as you could tell from our discussion, the hard work will most of the time trump the talent, especially in the senior circuit. It's a really 
great uh, key point taken away from <laughs> this podcast, Jeff, and always leaving me with a tough act to follow, unfortunately. So <laughs> as, as far as this podcast and, and for me, TJ, you know, if, if I were to just pause and break this podcast down, I'm sure I could take more than 50 um, really important life lessons, professional, personal lessons out of it. And what I would probably think of when, when I think of this conversation again in the future is, is taking purposeful action. We didn't specifically talk about, we spent a lot of time talking about purposeful action, but there was, there was a point in the podcast when you talked about you know, players just rocking up, just going there to, to play with, with, no, with no sort of goal in mind, with no milestones in mind. They're just there. And, and hoping that they would achieve those grand goals just by being present. Being present is important, but from what, I, from what I've heard today and, and what you've highlighted is that people need to be taking more purposeful action in order to achieve their goals, not necessarily big lofty dreams, but um, even those milestones that you have to multiply in between those large goals that you have in life. Yes, I fully agree. So TJ, once again, thank you so much. And for all the listeners out there, thanks so much for tuning into the Badminton Podcast. And we're working in conjunction with Volantware. And what we're doing is we're trying to develop and form our badminton community so that we can all grow and push each other together in our game and also in our lives. So be sure to tune into all of our other episodes where we're going to get special guests like TJ on, where they're going to share such great insights. So TJ's had such a wealth of experience in badminton, in coaching, in developing associations and in managerial roles as well. So I hope you've gotten a lot from this podcast. Make sure that you keep sharing your love of the sport, just like TJ, just like Jeff, and just like I, and keep showing the world how incredible badminton is because it is so incredible. Don't you think, TJ? I fully agree. And I think that will never change. That's great. And if you want to connect with us, you can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn via our social media handle, B-O-L-A-N-T-W-E-A-R, or on our website via www.volantware.com. And finally, if you found this podcast useful, please listen to our other episodes because we've got some awesome guests on those and let everyone know about it because we're here to support the badminton community and give back. So we'd really love for everyone to get as much value as possible. So if you could share this podcast, we'd be very grateful as well. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. (laughs) This podcast was brought to you by Volantware, the most versatile badminton apparel you'll ever own.